We're going to be looking at John chapter 8, verses 38 through 47. At the end of the summer in 1874, there was a, an unusual gathering that took place. Four or 500 descendants of Jonathan Edwards poured into the resort town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts for a family reunion. There were professors, there were businessmen, ministers, government officials, and according to one account, women of unusual beauty and force of personality. And I think that's an interesting comment. Uh, the New York Genealogical Society uh, said this, a study that was done by them said this, there were probably no two people married since the beginning of the 18th century that have been such forerunners, or they use the word progenitors, which I didn't know what it meant until I looked it up, of so many, or parents, I guess you could say, of so many distinguished persons as Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Pierpont. When a study was done in the 1900s, results were famous. Here's who came from their line. These are the numbers. 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 100 clergymen, 66 physicians, 80 public office holders, including three senators, a few mayors, three governors, and a vice president to boot. The conclusion, having an industrious godly ancestry is much to one's advantage. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Can you imagine being the parents of such a wonderful line of people that have changed the world, changed America, that's for sure. How many people here have done Ancestry DNA? Ancestry DNA, okay, lots of fun. I, my wife and I did Ancestry DNA. I was, hoping, I, I was a little disappointed because I was hoping for the royalty line, some sort of, I'm the long lost prince of Colatia, and there's this inheritance waiting for me, and I just need to go and claim that, but that was not the case. Um, however, my wife did discover some interesting facts about her line. As a matter of fact, you're looking at me like, I'm going to tell you, you know what it is. She is somehow related to Rob Lowe, the actor. That explains a lot of the drama that happens in our household. But also, what was really interesting is we're actually, she's actually related to our neighbor that lives behind us. Um, there's, they are distant cousins. And then we also found out that a girl that is in my daughter's class is actually another distant couple times removed cousin. So it's kind of fun when you could do the ancestry DNA and figure out who's in your family line. And you could do that physically, but what about a spiritual ancestry? How do you figure that out? Is there a test for that? How do you and I know that we are truly part of God's family? Well, good news. There's a test for that. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to administer that test today. Uh, he's going to help the Jews here because they're a little confused. A little confused about their family relations, uh, particularly two people, uh, Abraham claiming him 
to be their spiritual father and God, claiming him to be their ultimate father or their heavenly father. So Jesus is going to administer this test, and we know that it's not just a test for him, is it? It's a test for you and me as we sit here listening today. Uh, So let's take this test with Jesus. We're going to start with the first test, and that is the test of Abraham as their father. So verses 38 through 41a, follow along with me. Jesus says this, I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you have heard from your father. Remember what Jesus is talking about, his word not having a place in them. And we established the week before, uh, the previous week that someone else's word they are following. So they answer him and they say to him, wait a second, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. Have you ever put your hope in something and it ended up being a false hope that you put your hope in and it kind of crumbled? You know, you were excited, you had some really big expectations and stuff like that and uh, you put all your, your faith, your trust in someone or something. Well, there's a guy, he kind of did something similar. It's kind of one of those funny, dumb thief stories, but you kind of feel bad for the guy. Uh, So he needed money, right? So we've all been there before, right? You need money. You know, we think of different ways we can make money. Uh, This guy had a a great idea. He said, I need need money, whether it was to to buy drugs or whatever it was, we're not quite sure. Uh, So he decided that in order to get money, he was going to make a counterfeit bill. Pretty good idea. And he thought, hey, I got a great idea. If I make a counterfeit bill and I go to the store and I give it to the clerk and I say, here, can I, you know, buy a pack of gum? We've done that. And you get some change, right? And he gives the counterfeit bill. And then he's going to say, well, I got real money now in replace for this counterfeit bill. But this guy was like, well, I don't want just, you know, a week's pay. He's like, I'm going to go big or go home. So he didn't do a $100 bill. That was, that's, that's small time, right? So what about a $1,000 bill? Do you think he did a $1,000 bill? Nah, that's, that's not enough either. How about a $10,000 bill? Do you think he did a $10,000 bill? No, no, no. This guy said, I'm going to go big or go home. I'm going to do a million-dollar bill. So that's exactly what he does. He gets a million-dollar bill, and he walks into the dollar store. I'm kidding. I don't know if he walked into the dollar store. And he was thinking, I'm going to hand this million-dollar bill, I'm going to buy a pack of gum, and I'm going to ask for change. Probably not the smartest guy to to begin with, because we know that if the dollar store or wherever it was that he went held a million dollars in change, they would be robbed every day of the week. Now, the other thing, too, that you got to think about is that million-dollar bill might draw a little bit of attention, wouldn't it? But it's really the third thing that's the kicker. Is there such a thing as a million-dollar bill? No. There is not such a thing as a million-dollar bill. As a matter of fact, the, the largest currency that is made is the $100 bill. So this guy tries to hand in the million-dollar bill. I, I don't know what he was thinking. Ask for change. Uh, the girl definitely has a problem. Calls the store manager. He tries to grab the scanner gun and do something with the scanner gun. The police tackle him and arrest him. And all his hopes and dreams are dashed to the ground. The Jews here are doing a, a, a similar thing. Abraham is their million-dollar bill. 
They think that Abraham and their connection, both physical and here a spiritual connection, is enough clout to secure them forever. So here, that's exactly what they've been doing with Jesus. Remember, it goes all the way back uh, to what they say in verse 33. When Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free, they say, we've never been slaves, we are descendants of Abraham, and here, here's the phrase, here's the bill. We are children of Abraham. Abraham is our father. They're going to turn that in, and they're going to say, that's enough. This connection to Abraham secures us for life. We're good to go, Jesus. We don't need you because of our relationship to him. Now, maybe you're saying to me, well, Pastor Mark, this really doesn't have much to do with me. Now, don't get me wrong. What I'm about to say here, spiritual heritage is real important, just like the, the Edwards line and that type of heritage. We can learn a lot. We can benefit a lot from that. However, it's also very dangerous because we may not say the things that they are saying here where we're trusting in Abraham in that lineage, but we do say kind of similar things sometimes. And we place our trust, we place our faith in certain connections that we might have. And we think those connections kind of seal the deal for us, kind of make us automatically part of God's family. What are some of the things that we say? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm sure we've heard that one before. So how long have you been a Christian? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. There's not a time I can't remember I've been a Christian. Is it a benefit? Sure. Is it going to help you out? Absolutely. But only if it is personally applied, right? Is it a danger? Absolutely. Because we may take comfort in that fact. We may place the... They, we, as parents, we, we teach our children to place their personal trust in Jesus Christ. That's extremely important. Because many, many times, kids just take the parents' faith. And they're relying on that faith of the parents. And they're putting their trust in that faith. Well, my... My home was a Christian home. Or how about this one? This is even bigger. My father's a pastor. Right? Because now, now it's not just my parents are Christians. I have someone who's in, who's in the big one, right? He's, he's got a position. You know, he's a pastor. He's connected. He's got a really close, hopefully, hopefully, a close relationship with God. And you begin to trust in that relationship. And you actually begin to think that that relationship makes you more spiritual than other people. There's a danger there. How about I've gone to church since I was a kid. Now it's your association with this church, a specific church, specific congregation. Going to church. You know, there's not a time I don't remember I haven't gone to church. I go to church every Sunday. I tithe every Sunday. Hey, I'm even part of certain ministries in the church. Or even better, I'm a member at that church. So now you're kind of, you're more than just an attendee. You're a member of that church. Do we see where all this can go? And then another one is I go to a Christian school. So maybe folks don't make the statement claiming to be uh, physically connected to Abraham uh, but we do make other ones. Position, position or association absol mean absolutely nothing in spirituality. Those aren't our tickets into heaven, so to speak. Those aren't our tickets into God's family. 
We have to be really careful about those things because we can place our trust in them and we can actually begin to deceive ourselves because of those positions that we have or the people in our lives that have those positions or the associations that we have with those individuals. There were many, many, many people hanging around with Jesus. Judas was one of them, wasn't he? Remember they're all following him with the food? Even these guys said they're believers. It means absolutely nothing. So the test is, Jesus opens up this family, really, it is, it is whether or not you have a moral kinship with Abraham. This is how we can tell that you and I are Abraham's children. Abraham is a character that comes out throughout the New Testament and especially, of course, in the Old Testament. But Paul expands a lot on relationship to Abraham. Who is Abraham? What are the deeds of Abraham? Does this mean that there are certain works that you and I are to do uh, that make us spiritually related to Abraham? No, absolutely not. What did Abraham do? What's he known for? He's known for faith, isn't he? He is known specifically for hearing God, and this is where I think Jesus is getting with this. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham heard from God, and he believed. He united what he heard with belief, and he stepped out in faith. That is the entrance into this relationship or kinship with Abraham. God told Abraham, remember Abraham was living in in a pagan world, and he said, what? Leave your country. Go to the land which I will show you. And throughout his journey with God, we know that he was a man of faith. He trusted in God. He believed in God. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to say that the belief in God's promise to his descendants, the stars in the sky, was reckoned to Abraham as what? Righteousness. That's the entrance into God's family is faith. And that is how you and I reveal the fact that we are children of Abraham. We walk in faith. We believe what God says, and we obey Him. They are singing the song. They're saying, they're thinking just because they're related to Abraham, they're singing that song, right? We all know the song, Father Abraham. Father Abraham, come on, had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Yeah, I'm not going to sing the whole song there. That's what they're singing. And they're like, come on, Jesus. Father Abraham, they're all happy. And Jesus is like, nope, you're not related to Abraham. As a matter of fact, you're not showing any of your likeness to him. Because Abraham believed the truth. Abraham believed God. That's what Jesus is telling them. Jesus has been telling them, listen to me. Listen to the truth I'm telling you. Believe in me. Have faith in me. Trust in me. And I'll bring you in to that heavenly country. It's faith. The family of God from start to finish is a family of faith. Hebrews 11 speaks to the, the faith of Abraham. He trusted and obeyed. He followed God when he did not know where he was going. He lived as an alien in this world looking for what? Another city. You and I have an opportunity, especially during this time in in our world, to live like Abraham, don't we? 
We don't know week to week, day to day, what God's doing next, do we? But we keep following Him. We keep trusting in Him. Not knowing where we're going, but ultimately looking for that country. Abraham didn't look what was before him. He didn't look at the world in front of him. He looked beyond that. That was his goal. And he looked to that country in faith. And Abraham walked in faith. He trusted God to even bring life out of death. He trusted God that when he looked up at the heavens, he saw all those stars, that they would be his descendants. Do you know I'm looking at a few of those stars right now? All of you trusted, believed in Christ, are the stars that he was pointing to. But not only that, Abraham walked in faith when he gave up who? Isaac. He didn't hold on to his most precious gift. Gave him up. And what did he say to Isaac? The Lord will provide. That is what it means to be spiritual children of Abraham. What happens when Abraham tries to help God out in his little journey? Does it work for him? Remember when he gave his wife over? Did that work out for Abraham? No. And then God has to step in. So the life of Abraham is, a, is an example for us. And it's an example of faith. And it's an example of how we shouldn't intervene when God is working. So Let's go back to the test of these guys. They're not listening. They are actually trying to kill Jesus, who is telling them the truth, something that Abraham did not do. Are they children of Abraham? Big fat X on that one. You and I reveal that we are children of Abraham, that Abraham is in our line by hearing God's truth, by hearing what Jesus is saying, by following that truth, and by obeying to it. So the test result is negative. Let's move on to the, the next one. Are they related, or is God their heavenly Father? Verse, verses 41b through 43. So listen to what they, how they respond. They said to him, because Jesus was saying, you are doing the deeds of your father. So if you're not children of Abraham, you must have another father. And they said, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and I have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. So here, they're upset with Jesus uh, because Jesus doesn't give them Abraham. He's like, no, he's not in your line. <laughs> You're not related. Maybe physically. So Jesus isn't going to deny, as he said before, he's not going to deny a physical relationship that they are descendants, nor would he deny that God birthed the nation of Israel. 
but this is a spiritual connection, and now they are claiming God as their spiritual father, that they are actually born spiritually of God. So they're like, wait a second, we're not born illegitimately, God is our father. And then Jesus begins to question this, or actually test them in this. So there was a kid, everyone know this guy, this is Jay Leno. There was a kid who was uh, being bullied at school, but he was being bullied because he actually told all the other kids that he was related to Jay Leno, that Jay Leno was his uncle, that Uncle Jay would come by the house, pick him up in his Lamborghini, and drive him around town all the time. So what, what happens when kids tell stories like that? They get picked on, and they get called a liar, and then people want proof, right? Hey, if Jay's your uncle, you know, you need to start verifying that. So he got into a lot of trouble because of this, and he actually wrote a letter to Jay Leno, and he said, Jay Leno says this, I got a letter from the kid one day saying he's in trouble because he told people I was his uncle, and I would drive him around in my Lamborghini. His friends were all calling him a big fat liar. He wanted to know if I could actually pick him up and take him to school one day in said Lamborghini. He said, Jay Leno said, it intrigued me so much that I actually gave the kid a call. Talk to someone. I don't get any ideas, but maybe it'll work. Why not? And gave the kid a call, talked to the kid's mom, and set up a time. And there you go. Uncle Jay goes ahead. He picks up the kid, waits for the opportune time, drops. I see some of you kids looking at me like, man, that's a great idea. And he drops him off, you know, and you know Lamborghinis, they got the doors that raise up, kind of real cool looking. And he steps out and all the kids are looking at them and their mouths are hanging wide open and they just can't believe it. And he goes, bye, Uncle Jay. I'll see you later. And the Uncle Jay goes, yeah, I'll pick you up. We'll go driving around town. And that was it. The kid was absolutely set for life. The, the Jews are kind of claiming a similar thing here, aren't they? And it's funny because it's not just a claim of, of certain religious people, uh, but it's a claim of this world. Uh, many, many, many people, uh, both religious and non-religious, claim what? God's my Father. Uh, the, the scary thing is, is many, many, many people can look like God's their Father. They can look like they are related to God. We've got to keep in the back of our minds throughout this entire section here. These are the people who are the religious leaders during this day. These are the people who look the part. These are the guys who have all the religious paraphernalia going on. These are the people that other people are saying, those are the guys to go to if you want to know about God. These are the guys who know about God. These are the guys who are going to lead you to God. This is the people Jesus is talking to. People can pull up in their spiritual Lamborghinis. It doesn't mean they're related. And we can do the same thing in church. This is why it gets real, real dangerous. You can, you know, you can point to the degree on your wall from the master, the divinity school, whatever you went to. You can point to, you can point to how many times you go to church. You can point to the ministries that you're involved with. You know, oh, well, I saw them carrying a Bible all the time. I saw that he was part of that church all the time. Didn't he go to school to be a pastor? It's all appearances. 
I saw him say, bye, bye, Uncle Jay. Must be true. I saw them praying. Must be true. Religious, non-religious people make this claim and, and they use it as a security blanket. God's my father. I'm his child. He loves me. Therefore, when I die and go to heaven, he's going to welcome me with open arms into his home. Here they're claiming this relationship with God, but Jesus challenges on it, issues the test. It's really two, two tests here, but it's one that leads into the other. So what is the test? We've heard it before. John says it in the very, very beginning. It is Jesus Christ. But to all who did receive who? Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Once again, Jesus is stating equality with God and also verifying the truth of what he says and his mission. They, he says, the God, that, the one that you are saying is your father actually sent me. So it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. Because if you claim to be spiritual children of God, if you claim to be God as your father, then you would love me because I come from him. So Jesus, again, is stating the fact that he is God uh, and also that he is the second person of the Trinity coming down, incarnate God, sent on a mission specifically to reveal the truth to these individuals who claim to be spiritual children of God. He's trying to point them in the right direction. He says, look, if you were really God's children, you would have this love for me. It doesn't add up. And if you loved me, you would understand what I am saying. You would hear and understand and receive the truth that I am saying. He's saying all of this points to the fact, guess what? You're not his, you're not his children. And again, we have to say this is the exclusivity of the gospel. People want to make this one big family of God, but it's just not true. And this is where people, uh, unbelievers in the world, don't want to hear this, but this is the truth that needs to be told. The only way that you can get to heaven, the only way that you can be part of this family is if you go through the Son. Jesus. That's all. But Jesus uses an interesting word here. He actually says, if you love me, if you love me. And this is the word uh, agape. We're very, very familiar with this word. This is a word that, so this love for him is a kind of a divine love. It's a, it's a love that's poured into our hearts uh, through the Holy Spirit towards Jesus. But what does it mean? We can say this, and I, I feel like it's kind of lost its oomph over the years. Hey, what does it mean? I buy a t-shirt? I heart Jesus? A little tattoo? I love Jesus? Go around saying Jesus? Praise the name Jesus. Jesus, I love Jesus. Is that what he means to love Jesus? I mean, all those things are nice. You can buy a t-shirt. Maybe we do have a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus. But there's so much more to that. I think we toss this word around, and I'm not sure we really understand the depth of what it means. Uh, this, this word for agape means to, to deeply cherish. And we know that it is, it is seen in action. It actually means to prove one's love, 
to be devoted to, to have a special affection towards. It means that Jesus is is all of your life. It means that he influences you from the start of the day to the end of the day. It means that, that Jesus has a controlling influence over your decisions, over your goals, over your thoughts, over your words. It is directly reflected in obedience to him. Jesus actually says that, doesn't he? Hey, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Not out of fear, but out of love. Because we love him, we cherish him. We want to we be in that constant fellowship with him. We want to hear what he has to say to us not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday through Saturday as well. If we love Jesus, we're going to love the things and the people He loves, aren't we? Does Jesus love unbelievers? Absolutely. He loved us, didn't He? We're going to love His kingdom. We're going to love His work. We're going to love His people. I can say that I love my family. I can say it all I want, but if I don't show that love in action, it's just empty words, isn't it? I remember a time uh, when I was a young Christian, and I had this experience with this this guy, his father, who it kind of surprised me. Um, he had, I was involved somehow in, uh, with his uh, youth ministry or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, um, but he he took me out to dinner one night. He realized that I had formed this relationship with his son, a son that he was not in a good relationship with, and he he took me out and. And he said to me, he goes, I, I noticed that, you know, you got a good relationship with my son. And he said, I'm wondering if you can mentor him, you know, and, and help him along. And, and I was all for that. You know, that's fine. I didn't mind doing that at all. And I didn't, I felt like at that point in my life, I was the one who needed mentoring. I mean, I don't know if this guy really knew who I was, if he knew who I was. I mean, I was just a very young Christian. Um, but whatever it was, he just asked me. What he said next really shocked me because I just kind of asked about their relationship, right? Because to me, you can have all the mentors in the world, but one of the most important relationships is with your father or your mother, right? So whoever it may be, you want to have a good relationship with your parents. And I remember he said to me, he goes, you know, he's, he's into all this skateboarding stuff and that's just not my thing. And I'll never forget it. It it was many years ago, and it stuck with me. And I thought to myself, 
you know what? If you love Him, that needs to be your thing. You need to be interested in what your child is interested in. doesn't mean you need to go to a skate park and be doing all this stuff, but you want to pour into that which your children love. It's the same thing with a marriage. You know, you don't have to do the same things, but you want to value and cherish what they value. It's the same thing with Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're going to love the things He loves. You're going to love the church. You're going to love His work. You're going to love evangelizing. You're going to love all of those things. Why? Because He loves them. If you're going to love Jesus, you're going to love Him no matter what. You're going to love Him even when times get tough. There's a guy, he was a missionary, and he was held in a a Turkish prison for uh, years often enduring long trials and sessions. At one point, it looked like he could spend decades in there, but the presidential administration was able to get him out and released him. And he was at Wheaton College, and he's given a talk on it. And he says, when I was, he said, he said this, he did not feel God's presence during this stay in prison at all but he experienced something deeper. He said, after a few days, I completely lost the sense of God's presence at all. It's just gone. God was silent, and he remained that way for two years. He said, when he was finally brought to trial, things were even worse. He goes, there are some who go down into the valley of testing and some who don't make it out. He said, I was broken. I lay there alone in my solitary cell. I had a great fear. I had a terrible grief. I was constantly weeping. I thought, and the thought kept going through my mind, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? He said, I opened my mouth, and as I wept aloud, I was surprised at what I heard out what I heard coming out of my mouth. I heard, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I thought to myself, there's my victory. Even if you're silent, even if I'm suffering, I love you, Jesus. Even if you let my enemies harm me, I love you, Jesus. That's what it means to love Jesus. They have a hard time hearing what Jesus is saying. Why? They don't love Him. And because they don't love Him, are they God's children? No. Love of Jesus is the test having God the Father. So, no relation to Abraham, no relation to God, Jesus issues one final test. Let's see if they're somehow connected to the devil. Verses 44 through 46. 
Jesus comes right out and says it. By process of elimination, you are of your father, the devil. You wanted to do, do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar, the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you don't hear him because you don't belong to him. NPR journalist Scott Simon has always avoided using the word evil. When covering terrible events around the world, he doesn't use the word evil. He claims that he was part of a generation that considered evil or the devil as some sort of cartoonish moral concept. However, he watched with his daughters some of the sickening images from the chemical weapons attack in Syria, Syria in April 2017 that, scored, uh, that killed scores of people, many of them children. Simon writes, we watched in silence. I've covered a lot of wars, but could not think of anything to say to make sense of what we were watching. Finally, one of the daughters asked, Dad, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone do that? He said, as a reporter, I still avoid using the word evil, but as a parent, I've grown to feel it may be more important to teach my children about evil as we struggle to explain cruel and incomprehensible behavior that may not just be seen in history, but in their own times. He said that he interviewed a man, Romeo Dallaire, commanding the US, UN peacekeeping forces in Rwanda in 1993 and 1994, when more than 800,000 Tutsi Rwandans were slaughtered over a period of three months. Dallaire said what happened there made him believe in evil and even believe in a force he called the devil. He said, I've negotiated with him. I've actually shaken his hand. He goes, but yes, there is no doubt in my mind. The expression of evil to me is through this devil. The devil at work, possessing human beings and turning them into machines of destruction. One of Satan's greatest lies is what this first gentleman refers to. Satan has convinced people over the years that he does not exist. Satan has convinced people over and over and over again that you and I are, are, are products of some sort of accident. Now here we are living on this world and we just exist to fulfill our desires. We can do whatever we want doesn't matter, because in the end, we're all just going to go back to dust. There's no accountability. There's no judgment. There's no good. There's no evil. 
and there's definitely no Satan. It's a lie. And it's a lie because Satan wants to destroy us. That is his primary goal. He wants to destroy us and he wants to destroy God's work. And that is why those individuals who are talking to Jesus at this point want to kill him. They're doing the deeds of their father. Their father and those who follow suit, mind you, is Satan. They're listening to him. They're hearing and obeying him. All of these acts revealing the truth, like father, like son. They're not related to Abraham. God is not their heavenly father. But guess what? It's a 100% match. They're children of the devil. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to these individuals at this point? These are individuals that were the religious leaders of his day. These are individuals that are supposed to be able to bring people to God, into a relationship with God. These are individuals that are supposed to be telling the truth. And Jesus says, guess what? Abraham's not in your family line. God is definitely not in your family line. I'll tell you who is. I'll tell you who you're acting like. You're acting like your father, Satan, because he's a murderer. He's a liar. He's been that way from the beginning. As a matter of fact, when he says he speaks his, his, uh, from his nature, it actually means he speaks his native tongue. Satan's native tongue is a lie. He lies to us. He lies to unbelievers. He lies to believers. He hits our minds and he hits our hearts. He's done that from the beginning, hasn't he? Isn't that what Jesus says? He's been a liar from the beginning. And this is how he works. Questions God. Makes us question God. Notice what he did with Eve in the garden. Oh, are you sure? Did God really say that? God just doesn't want you to have this. God's withholding from you. God is the one who is evil. And there we have this huge flip. Everything is turned upside down. You have the creature over the human. And you have the human over God because she wants to be just like God. And you have God all the way down at the bottom. The lie. He lies to us. He promises things. And he makes it look all good. But in the end, it results in death. I remember when I was a kid, I, loved, I lied all the time. All the time. I was a big, fat liar. That's because I was following my father there. <laughs> this guy, lying. Lying, 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 lying. I lied, I, I, lied, I cheated, and I, I stole. I actually stole money from my parents. I would steal money from my parents' savings. I don't know if I ever told them that. They might know right now. Sorry, Mom. But I think I might have. And I would steal candy from, I was a little shoplifter, got caught a few times, uh, robbed a house. That was my big, big time rob. 
robbery, you know, all those things. But I, I used to trick people too. I, I like tricking people. I don't do that anymore. Only if it's, I'll, I'll let you know after. But one time I crank called someone and I, I called them and we got this kid on the phone, picks up the phone, he answers, and I pretended to be a radio talk show host. And I, I told him he won a prize. And I said, you, you won this prize, you know, and you got to go to the Neshaminy Mall and you need to claim your prize tomorrow at this time at this place. This kid was over the moon. He just was so excited. Couldn't believe it. Telling his parents, I won the prize, I won the prize. And I don't know if I talked to the mom or not or anything like that, but I was, I was in this. I was committed. And I get this guy, and then I wanted to make sure that he went and got the prize. So I went to the mall the next day and called from a payphone. Grandmom answers, no, little Billy is at the mall. I'm like, that's great, because, you know, okay, thank you very much, bye-bye. And I think we went to the place where we told him to meet us, and we were kind of looking, and, and they were all disappointed or whatever happened. I can't remember if I, I saw it or not, but promised all this stuff, all this stuff, and you go and you go and you go, and then absolutely nothing. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Let me ask you something. Would it have been funny if he got into a car accident on the way there? Or on the way home. Would it have been funny if his parents called him a liar and he got in big trouble for it? Satan's gonna lie to you, folks. He's gonna say you want a big fat prize, he's gonna dress it up, he's gonna make it look real appealing. Go ahead. Isn't this nice? Look at how beautiful this fruit is. Take a bite. Nobody's looking. It's just you. Doesn't God want you to be happy? Doesn't He want you to enjoy your life? It's just one time. Just one time. His lies lead to death. His lies lead to destruction. He lies to our minds, but he accuses our hearts, doesn't he? Because then there's the flip side for believers. He's called the accuser. Oh, you really blew it this time. That's it. God's not going to forgive you now. You might as well just throw in the towel. Give it up. People are going to look at you. What kind of Christian are you? How can you be a pastor and sin like that? How can you be a Christian and sin like that? How can you do such a thing? You better hide that one. Don't tell anyone that one. Lies. He doesn't want you to know the truth. We combat his lies with this. You just notice how many times lies and truth is mentioned in this passage, right? We hear what this is about. Satan wants you to not hear the truth. The truth about Christ the truth about what he's done, the truth about forgiveness, and he doesn't want, to hear, want you to hear the truth about sin. 
He doesn't want you to hear the truth about temptation. When he speaks, he speaks his native tongue. The liar. That's what he does. And, and those who are his children, notice what Jesus says here. He says, you, you don't believe me because I'm telling you the truth. So those who are his children actually reject the truth because it is the truth. And we see this out in our society today, don't we? And what do they do? They parade along and they get everyone else who's following the lie. And they have this big celebration of a lie. And those who are trying to teach people the truth, they are the demons. They're the evil ones. He flips it. Flips it around. The goal of Satan's program is to stop the truth. And the way that you and I can combat it is pick up this book. Fill our minds with the truth. Know what Jesus says. Know what God says. Follow the truth. Obey the truth. Keep His Word. Where? In your heart. Protecting you. From all of those lies. Jesus is the opposite, right? We've been saying that, the opposite of the Jews, but he's definitely the opposite of Satan. See, Satan lies to destroy us, to bring death. Jesus tells the truth to do what? Bring life. He says, who convicts me of sin? No one. You got nothing on me, but Satan has everything on you. I'm not the liar. He's the liar. You're believing him. Jesus is pure, 100% sinless. No sin in him, no fault in him, no lie in him. What Jesus says, when Jesus speaks, he only speaks what? The truth. What a difference. And that truth, when you and I believe that truth, when we obey that truth, that truth does not lead to death. It leads to life and life everlasting. Life here and now and life for all eternity. He concludes the test. He who is of God, if you were God's children, you'd hear my word, but you don't hear it. Because you're children of Satan. Going back to the line of Edwards, there was a relationship, a statistic that they would probably like to forget or erase from their ancestry line. Does anyone know who this guy is? I wouldn't have known either, so don't worry about it. But if you get it, I'll give you something. This is Aaron Burr. Ah, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr was Jonathan Edwards' grandson. Aaron Burr was the individual who engaged in an illegal duel with President Alexander Hamilton. Shot him dead. Afterwards, he then plotted, I, didn't, I knew he killed Hamilton, but he actually plotted to crown himself the Emperor of Mexico. It's kind of random, I'm not quite sure why, but shoot the President, King of Mexico. That was his goal. 
There's a poem written about Mr. Burr. It goes like this. Eight lines of clergymen converged to meet in Aaron Burr. Edwards's, Tuttle's, Parapont's, each a blood and thunderer. Eight lines of clergymen converged, as I have said, in Aaron Burr, but Aaron was Beelzebub, the devil, in mocking miniature. As one author says, those splendid qualities and heritage in the line of Edwards seem to have been demonically reversed in Burr. Quite the reversal, isn't it? Just like our friends here. It's an absolute 180. Not related to God, not related to Abraham, children of Satan. There is one relationship that is absolutely crucial in all of this. And in that relationship, our true Father is revealed. Our true Father is revealed in our response or relationship to the Son. Children of Abraham, listen to the truth that the Son, Jesus, has spoken. They believe in it, and they follow in faith. Children of God love the Son. They hear His Word and obey it. If anyone tells you that they are part of God's family, but yet reject Jesus Christ, well, they're a liar, just like their father. Heavenly Father, thank you for clarifying our family relations. And Lord, we pray that individuals who believe they are part of your family but have failed this test would know the truth. That you would free them from the snare of Satan's lies. You reveal to them the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. That our response to Him, our love for Him, our obedience to Him reveals the family that we belong to. And Lord, as children of your family, help us to reflect and live this truth. Help us to continue in the faith like Abraham, trusting and obeying in you even when we don't know what's before us, giving up that which is most precious to us, knowing that you have something better in store for us. Help us to continue to love and adore and cherish and be devoted to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, to tell people the truth, even if they reject it, even if they lie about us and lie about you. We pray these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.